Ruth. This series, Ruth, an extraordinary, an extraordinary redemption story. If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, many of you probably read it many times. It's got a lot of great themes in it, a lot of great parts. And there's things throughout that I hope that we'll see as we work through Ruth together. One of the biggest things that I'm hoping that we're going to see is this idea of redemption. It's a beautiful picture that we see throughout Ruth, and it applies to us. I also hope that you're going to see the sovereignty and the providence of God. Remember, God's sovereignty, He's sovereign, and so that means everything is under Him. He's in control of all things, and His providence is how He works these things out in human history, the things that He uses. And I also hope that you're going to see this interesting term. It's in, it's in the Hebrew called hesed, and it's this term that's throughout, and it's this idea of loving kindness. But it means so much more than that. It takes about 10 or 12 English words to describe this word. But it's really familiar, a little test for you, from our time that we spent in the New Testament when we were talking about in Greek, and we were talking about a word for love, multiple words for love, and we were talking about this one love. Congregation, can you help me with that? What word was that for this love that God has for us? Agape. That agape love. That's, they're similar. There's ties to this word, this loving kindness that we see that starts with God and comes to us. And we see it mentioned about Ruth as well and others. When you came in, hopefully you were able to grab a bulletin, because on the back we have a little map. And again, we're going to do just a, a little bit of, of work just to set the context, because I want you guys to have the context before we jump in to the book of Ruth. So on your bulletin, if you flip it over to the back, there's going to be a little map. So kind of keep that next to you. And then if, hopefully you're able to grab one of these. This is for you to take home. It's just a sheet here talking about the book of Ruth. And that's what I'm going to go through. I'm just going to go down this for just a moment before we jump into the text today. So the book of Ruth in the Old Testament... And the author is, truthfully, we don't know who wrote it. Ultimately, God. He writes all of Scripture. But as far as the human author that he used, we don't know. Some would say that it was the prophet Samuel. When was it written? Probably after 1010 B.C. Again, we don't know a lot as far as specifics when it comes to this book. It's an old work. When was it written? The occasion. During the days that the judges ruled Israel between 1375 and 1210 B.C. What does that mean? Judges ruled Israel. So before the kings, it's a time in Israel's history when they had judges that were ruling. Okay, So let me quickly catch you up to speed. You have Israel is delivered by Moses from Egypt. Parts of the Red Sea they go through. Then, they're heading to the promised land, and a bunch of things happen, if you're familiar with the story, and they begin to wander around for quite a while. Part of God's discipline on them. They wander and wander and wander around in the wilderness. And they get close to the promised land. In fact, they go to Moab. They're in the plains of Moab. They're going to enter soon. And this is where, on a mountain there, that's where Moses dies before they go in. Then Joshua steps up, if you remember with Joshua, he leads them in. They get to go in. They had specific commands that they were to do, go in. They were to get rid of all the other peoples there, and they were to love their God, follow their God. Well, they went in. 
But as we talked about before, sometimes we decide that it's better to kind of obey God. We decide, yeah, I'm going to obey you, but not fully. We were talking about it in Sunday school a little bit, especially with children sometimes, especially with our sweet little Isabella. If you don't know her, she'll be running around shortly. She's in the nursery. About, she's just about two years old, and one thing that she does, I was explaining it to the Sunday school, one thing she does now is, let's say she's touching something she's not supposed to, she'll put her hand there and we'll say, Isabella, don't do that, or she'll be standing up on the couch, and we'll say, Bella, sit down, and she looks. And if you've had kids, grandkids, nieces, and nephews, you know that look. <laughs> just that, I'm looking at you, and I, I'm, I'm here, I understand what you're saying to me, I get it. But I'm not going to do it. And so, you take a step. Or you get up out of the chair. And then she obeys immediately. Sits down. Boom. Hits the ground. Or hits the, you know, the couch where she takes her hand off. <laughs> That's not obedience. That's obeying on her terms. The same is true with us. And the same was true with Israel. We're going to take the promised land. We're going to get rid of the men, mostly. We're going to keep... Ladies around, we're going to do other things, and we're not going to fully obey what God wants us to do. And God says, don't, don't get involved with the peoples that are there. Don't marry them. Don't do those things. And they do. They take these foreign wives, and what happens is, as they take these foreign wives, well, maybe those foreign wives will convert and become followers of the true God. Sometimes we do that as well today. We decide that we're going to do kind of evangelism dating. You know, well, you know, he's not a Christian yet, but if we start dating, hopefully one day, then he'll become a Christian. That's not how it works. That's not what we do. We find people who love the Lord, and that's who we get together with. We don't do evangelism dating. And Israel didn't need to do evangelism marriages because it didn't work, as God told them it wouldn't. They take wives, and what happens is their hearts get drawn to worship idols and other gods. And they worship. So this is the time of the judges. It's a dark time. Israel, they just keep disobeying God. So then he brings discipline. He brings judgment. Nations come in and just have their way with Israel. They just cause them all kinds of trouble. Wars, killing, all this. So then God in his loving kindness and faithfulness, he raises up a judge. And the judge comes in and he, there's some neat stories. He goes in and he wipes people out. Wipes out the enemies of Israel. Yay, everything's good. Okay, great. We're going we're gonna to worship you, God. You're, you're great. Thank you for saving us. And they don't fully obey. They keep standing on the couch. They keep their hand where it shouldn't be. And their hearts go away again. And he raises another judge. And their hearts go away again. Raises, and so on and so forth. This is the time, and this time frame is where this story of Ruth comes from. Israel is either in war and getting delivered from things, or they're disobeying God. And that's where this story takes place. One of the things that it says in the book of Judges, which is something we use around our, our house, is everybody in the time did what was right in their own eyes. That's what it says in the times of the book of Judges. Does that sound like any other time in history to you? That everyone just does whatever's right in their own eyes? Nothing's new under the sun. <clears throat> So we're going to work through the text together, but that's, well, I wanted to give you the context. 
And as we work through, if you have this sheet, there'll be some things on here that'll be helpful. I'll refer back to it. But let's do like we always do. Let's go through the scriptures together, verse by verse, and see what God has for us this morning. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the first reading, that can just be something you kind of pass over quickly, but there is a lot here. I already set the context for you, so in the days of the judges ruled, you get that, you know where we are. There was a famine in the land. Famine. Why in the world would God allow there to be a famine in the land of Israel? Why would he do that? Many times, if God's doing something like that, remember what I just said about Israel. Were they worshiping the true God? No. He will allow things like famine and such to come to discipline his people, to get their attention back on him. He allows this famine to come. So this is what's going on right now. And it was in the land, and a man of Bethlehem. Have you ever heard of Bethlehem before? Absolutely, it's important. In Judah, went to sojourn. So he's in Bethlehem in Judah, and he went to sojourn, kind of go, we're going to go cruise around a little bit. We're going to go live temporarily somewhere else, okay? In the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. First, let me tell you real quick about Moab. If you're not familiar, they left where God was, and they went to Moab. Do you know where Moab comes from? The son of Lot was Moab. This was Abraham's nephew. If you're back in the book of Genesis, do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Right? God's going to rain down terror, going to destroy the city. So Lot gets delivered with his daughters and his wife. She (laughs) makes it some of the way. Well, they make it and they hide out. And what's interesting is in Genesis 19.37, after being delivered, Lot's daughters have a plan. Now, they may have thought that the world had ended, whatever. Lot's daughters have a plan. They get him drunk, and they say, hey, we, we don't have any husbands, we don't have any kids yet. We need someone to help us with that. Let's get dad drunk and sleep with him. And ultimately, Moab was one of those sons. Even the start wasn't good there. So now, these people, if you'll pick up your bulletin real quick, or you can look on the back, these people ended up settling to the east of the Dead Sea. In the bottom right there, you can see Israel, Judah, everything was to the left over here. They settled and became this people. And guess what? If you track through Scripture, the Moabites, they're always Israel's enemies. A wicked people who worshipped many other gods didn't worship the true God of Israel. So now catch the irony. I need you to see this. Go back to the text with me. A man of Bethlehem, a a follower of God, supposedly, in Judah, went to sojourn in a country of Moab. It's never good. Listen carefully to me. It's never good to leave God and go try something else. Leave God's people and go try something else. What's really ironic is if you look at your sheet there, Bethlehem, known as the city of David, 
The Messiah was to be born there, which we saw uh, last week, I think it was. The meaning of Bethlehem is actually the city of bread, or the city of food, you could say, maybe. There's a famine in the city of food, in the city of bread, because of their disobedience. In Judah, again, getting more specific of that land, in Judah means praise. So they're leaving the city of bread, the city of food, because there's a famine, in the place of praise to go to Moab, to the enemies of God's land, and sojourn there for a little while. Do you see the irony? It's interesting. He and his wife and his two sons. The author sets the tone for us here. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. Stop there for a second. Again, I have this here for you. Elimelech's name means, my God is king. He's where he should be, even though there's this famine. He should stay faithful because it's the house of bread. God will visit his people. He always does. He's not going to leave them. My God is king. But I'm not liking how things are going, so we're going to head over here to the Moabites. He has his wife, Naomi, who her name means pleasant. We'll see how that plays in a little bit later. And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. (laughs) This translates roughly as unhealthy and puny. (laughs) This is is my children. Unhealthy, puny. Another pastor, I think, was talking about this and said, you know, bird flu, swine flu. This is my other son, malaria. I mean, that's the name of these children. What? And again, remember, this is, nowadays we don't do as much with the meaning of names. But in this time, it was very important. This family is interesting. Continuing on there in verse 2. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judea, in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. What's interesting and ironic is they leave God's place with God's people, the guy who's, my God is king! They leave there, to go to the enemies of God where they're not supposed to go, and he dies. Friends, it's never good to get away from God, to get away from his people, get away from his plan. It's not good. It turns out, maybe what they were running from, they maybe didn't want to die, didn't want to starve, whatever it was, and the husband ended up dying anyway. So now they're in this foreign land, And it says that they remain there. So then, dad goes, look what the sons do. These took, she was left with her two sons. Verse 4, these these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. Just in case you didn't know, they weren't supposed to do that either. Israel was not supposed to marry with those Canaanites, meaning those who were in the land of Canaan before they got in there. 
They weren't supposed to do that either. Again, here's a question for us. Are we following the Lord ourselves, if we're married with our spouses, in such a way that even when we're not there, our children are going to obey the Lord? Ultimately, we can't control everything that they do. But dad goes, and they marry immediately. But what else were they going to do? They've already just, they've watched mom and dad leave God's people, leave God's place, and go to another land. All mom and dad were doing were just setting the example of not following God. Dad goes, let's get us some ladies. We've got to be careful. We're thinking legacy. We don't just want to have a great day with God. We want to have a great life with God. We want our children to have great lives with God. We want our children's children and so on and so forth. Generational faithfulness. That's what we want. And it starts with making sure that we're following God. If we say, my God is king, then we follow him. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Don't really know exactly on these names. Uh, From the scholars and things, the best that they can say is Orpah may mean like a fawn. Kind of a pretty thing, I guess. Or neck. (laughs) Maybe she had a really long neck. I don't know. Can't do much with that one. Maybe maybe some other pastors can. Ruth has a lot of different meanings as well. Not sure, but it seems to be beauty or friend, that type of idea. And we'll see why that's true. You may have heard it already when they were doing the reading earlier. They lived there about 10 years. Remember, they left. They were going to sojourn. They were just going to go, get some food, last a little bit, and come back. And you know what they ended up doing? Settling there. Here's the thing. Sometimes we think it's okay to dabble in sin. Sometimes we think it's okay to dabble in being away from God, away from His people, away from His plan. We dabble in that a little bit, and guess what ends up happening? It's a snare. Sin is a snare, and it catches us. And you definitely don't just dabble. We shouldn't dabble at all. Again, sometimes, I don't know why this is, but we as humans, we always want to know where the line is. What can I, what can I get away with that's not sin? How close can I get? Is that sin or not? If it's even a question, run the other way. That's what Scripture says. It's not going to be good for you. Don't, don't be near there. Be way away from sin. Flee it. Flee from it. You don't want to hang around sin. It will grab us. Ten years, verse 5. And both Mahlon and Chilion died. (laughs) Saddest story ever, starting off. I mean, so that the woman, specifically Naomi, was left without her sons and her husband. They leave God's people. They leave the house of bread, praise They go to another land. They go to just sojourn for a little bit. They end up staying there. Sons disobey God. They die too. That sets the tone for us for the rest of the book. Let's continue on. Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Listen. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. 
listen to me when I tell you this. Even if it feels like a season of famine or drought, God visits his people. If there's famine, if there's drought, yes, physically, also talking spiritually, if you're not feeling him close, the thing that we do is we check our hearts and we ask God to reveal why that is. Again, this was during a time, constant sin, constantly worshiping false gods. Are we ourselves, if we're in this season, worshiping something else? Money, family, whatever. Good things sometimes, they turn into bad things when we worship them. But the Lord had visited His people. People were talking about it. She heard about it and she goes, well, I've got nothing left here. I'm going back home. Verse 7, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the, do- may the Lord deal kindly. Remember that word? Has said, I want you to remember, this is where we see it come up. May the Lord dear, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She's saying, go back. I've got nothing for you, right? I've got nothing for you guys. I'm going to go home back to my people. You guys stay here. May the Lord just deal kindly with you because you have shown so much kindness to us. That's what she's saying. Verse 9, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Maybe if they go back to their people, maybe they can find another husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and they wept together. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back. She's fighting back here. Now again, Naomi's just being logical here. She has nothing to offer them. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have sons. That's a, she's in a bad place in that time of history. She's in a bad spot. And really, it's going to even be harder if she goes back alone. But she's telling them, you guys go back. So she's being logical, verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? There's nothing in it for you. I got nothing for you. Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? The other one's died. I can't offer you anything. Who's going to take care of you, ladies? You need to go back to your own people. Verse 12, Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for this is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's saying, I got nothing for you. And God, you notice what she says there? God's hand has gone out against me. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't he in that case? You were with his people in the house of bread, in the land of praise. You were married to the my God is king guy. You should have been obeying him. You should have been following him. Instead, you go to the enemies of Israel who worship other gods to find food. You go there, and your sons marry women that I said not to marry. And they've died too now. What would we expect if we do not follow the Lord? And she's saying, go back. 
I've got nothing to offer. Even if I were to have kids, you're going to wait that long? You can't. Go back. The Lord has gone out against me. Interesting how to see that. Do you ever do that? Do you ever do that? How about you guys? If you uh, things get a little hard, things aren't going the way you want, isn't it interesting that we're very quick to blame God? This is your fault. Now it's true, He's sovereign over all things, but He's also a good God. And so if that's happening, the first thing we have to do is check our hearts. And it may be that there's nothing going on. It doesn't necessarily mean just because something bad's happening that you have sin in your life. It doesn't mean that. It may. We have to check and ask God to search us like we see David do. It may mean that we live in a fallen world and this is tough and God is going to use these trials to refine your faith more and bring you closer to Him and help you look more like His Son. It may be that. But Naomi, she says, puts it on God. He's, he's just against me. Verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. See the difference? Orpah finally got it. Yeah, okay. I've pushed back some. I said I would go, but you make some really good points. I'm going to go back to my home. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to my gods. And Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Another insight that Naomi may not be the best Christian Old Testament believer is she's telling her, go back to your family and go back to your gods. Do you see how that gives insight? It's not like Naomi was this righteous woman that got it. She doesn't get it. She doesn't see it. That's why they left their land. That's why they went there in the first place. They didn't stay where God had them. She doesn't get it. And she, and she doesn't really love these girls enough in the right way because she's saying, go back to your land and your gods. What they need to do is they need to follow the one true God. But Ruth said, and this is a beautiful section of Scripture, listen to this. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord, and right there she uses, she's using the, the personal name for God, the Yahweh. She's understanding who this is. I would say that we're seeing either at this moment or just before, she's becoming a follower of Yahweh, of the true God. Even though... Naomi really doesn't seem to be. God has worked in Ruth's heart in such a way that this, now again, she's a Moabite. She's one of the enemies of God. And he's bringing bringing her to himself through this. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What Ruth shows here is that loving kindness that I talked about before. If we're in the New Testament, we could talk about this type of agape love. Even though there's nothing in it for me, Ruth is saying, nothing in it for me. I'm going to, like Galatians talks about in Galatians 6, I'm going to bear your burdens like we're to do with one another. And I'm going to love you and I'm going to follow you. That's incredible. Only the love of God can do that in somebody. 
So I think this is where we see at least that Ruth is a true follower of God. Last couple of verses and we'll be done. Verse 19, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So they left and they came back to the house of bread. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Now again, she's been gone ten years. Everyone's talking about it. Kind of feels like maybe Cedar Key a little bit. (laughs) Someone leaves and comes back. Everyone's talking about it. Right? Oh, Naomi. Remember her name? Pleasant. Hey, Pleasant's back! And got word that my God is king. The husband is dead. The sons are dead. She's coming back with a Moabite. What is going on? Is this, is this Naomi? Oh, we love Naomi. She was pleasant. She was a great gal. Led a Bible study, maybe. It was cool. Eh, check this out. She said to them, Do not call me pleasant. Call me Naomi. Call me Mara. If you look in your thing there, Mara means bitter. She changed her name from pleasant to bitter. For the Almighty, and what's interesting is she starts to use a different word for God here. El Shaddai, if you're familiar with that. And something that as I was studying this, it was pretty incredible, realized that Yahweh, what we see when it talks about the Lord, is the name of God. And every other time, every other title are just titles for God. That's, his name is Yahweh, so they've been using that. Now she switches and uses a title for God, and this title kind of has this idea that he's in control of everything. That's what this El Shaddai kind of means. Um, and so she switches it and she says, for the one who's in control of everything, his title has dealt very bitterly with me. Blaming him. The one who controls everything now has made my life bitter. So don't call me pleasant any longer. Call me bitter. You ever been around someone who's just bitter? Have you ever fallen into a little bit of bitterness yourself? Yeah, it's not. When I played, when I played baseball uh, early in my career, before really the Lord used an injury to get my perspective right, two years due to shoulder issues, and working through Heather and the birth of Leanna and many different things, the guys sometimes, if I didn't have a good game or something happened, they would say, oh, look, it's Bitter Billy. They could see it. And just so you know, not pleasant to be around. Now, Heather's, (laughs) she's testifying, not pleasant to be around. What's interesting is the circumstances around Naomi change how she views herself. And how she views as God. Whereas the truth of the matter is, no matter what happens around us, what we need to do is preach truth to ourselves and know that God doesn't change. He's still good. He's still holy. He's still mighty. He's still working. He still cares. Amen, he does not change. And thus, our fight is to not be like Naomi, not to become better. Our fight is to say, I don't understand these things, but I'm going to praise you anyway. Because you're good. Finishing up. She says in 21, I went away full. Isn't that interesting? They left because of famine. Right? 
But she's talking more obviously about her family. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, remember, every time we see that Ruth's mentioned, it's going to keep mentioning her as the Moabite because the, the, the writer, ultimately God, wants us to see that he's working in such a great way that he even brings his enemies into the picture. Because guess what? At one point, we're all his enemies. We're all his enemies. Until we come to Christ, until we put our faith in Jesus Christ, until we believe in the sinless life of Jesus, the death on the cross, in our place for our sins. And after three days, He rose for our salvation. He took the wrath of God in our place. We're all enemies of His. We're no different than Ruth. And when God works in our hearts, just like Ruth, we can believe in Him and be reconciled to God. We can be redeemed by God. So... 22 again, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And that's where the chapter ends, and we'll pick up there next week. What's going to happen? It's exciting. You guys can read ahead. It's fine. I want you to. Keep reading through. So here's what I want to close with. Who are you in the story? Who are you? Maybe you're Ruth. Maybe you're not, you weren't yet a Christian, and today's the day you're going to become a Christian. You're going to say, your God in here is my God. Today's the day to do that. During our time of invitation, we'll have, you can come down here, I'll pray with you, you can pray in your seat, whatever it is. If you want to cry out to God today, it's the perfect time to be like Ruth. Maybe you're like Elimelech. Maybe you say, my God is king! And right now you're in a season where you're not following him. In fact, you're on the other side. He's the house of bread and praise and you're somewhere else. And you've got some things going on. Some of this, the sin that we've talked about, this unrepentant sin, this lifestyle of sin that you're living in. What you can do today is you can repent. Don't be like him. Don't be like him. Don't die in that sin. Come back from it. If you're hearing this today, you have the chance to do that. Or maybe you're like Naomi. And you don't see what God's doing yet. If you've read ahead in the story, if you know, God's doing great things in his providence here. Maybe you're bitter at God. Maybe you don't understand what he's doing what he's done. Be a little different than Naomi at this point and cry out to God and say, I don't understand, but I love you. I don't understand, but I trust you. Let's go ahead and pray together. God, we love you and we're thankful for the book of Ruth. We're thankful for your word. We know that it is your breath. We're thankful for this, this story that we've been able to go through, this first chapter here, Lord. We're thankful how you are working all things for good. Lord, we're thankful that you have decided 
to redeem Ruth. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who has not confessed that you are their God and really believe that, like Ruth, I pray that they would do that today. I pray, Lord, that if some of us in here are not following you, even though we say we are, even though we tell everybody, even though we're here on Sunday, or we're here at Sunday school, or we post it on Facebook, or whatever else we do, Lord, I pray that if there's something we need to repent of, Lord, that we would do it today. Help my brothers and sisters to do that. Lord, if there's some who are like Naomi, who are just bitter and cannot see what's going on, I pray that they would confess that to you, ask for forgiveness and trust in you. Bring them back to you as Naomi has now gone back to your place, with your people. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.